Whites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new comics on sale February 10th, 2021. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Tucker, we got a whole lot of comics to talk about, a whole lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, We've got a great guest, cool books, everything that anyone could want from this humble podcast where we tell you about all the new comics every week. First, how are you faring with all this snow, buddy? Oh, the snow. Um, you know, fine. It looks nice from my window. How about you? So I shoveled for a total of like eight hours between two days. Oh, my God. Uh, so it was a lot. It's all fine. I got a lot of great exercise out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I feel great. That's life. That's life here in New York City. Yeah. You know? Wouldn't trade it for anything, and I won't trade it because I purchased a home and I'm never yeah. leaving. Yeah. <laughs> but we have to get into the new books this week. Uh, we've got a lot of great ones. We're going to go with my first pick of the week from New York City to Wakanda because I am picking King in Black, Black Panther, number one as one of my picks. It is written by Jeffrey Thorne, art by Herman Peralta, colors by Jesus Arbatov, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. Oh, man. In our team Slack for the podcast, I think I just like threw a bunch of expletives and was like, holy moly, this book blinkin rules. I just was so excited reading this. It is the perfect example of a tie-in. So it is fully ensconced in what the King of Black event is. If you don't know what King of Black is, we, we talk about it every week right now because we're in the, in the throes of it. The god of the symbiotes, the god of the void, Null, has come to Earth to take over, to wipe away all his uh, loose ends now that he's free. And, you know, Earth is putting up a little bit of a fight. And so everybody has to deal with Null's problems, which include big symbiotic dragons, lots of symbiotes running loose. And, of course, the entire world is dealing with it, and that includes Wakanda. So... You have Wakanda, which famously repels every invader, finds ways to destroy every, you know, force that comes to their door. And so this is the story of how they fight back against a just terrible God and its forces. And it rules so much. It references the Secret Invasion Black Panther storyline that is one of my favorite Black Panther stories as well, which is written by Jason Aaron. That was from 2008 or so. And it has like bits of that, but there's also an element about Storm in this issue, which is such a, like, it gets you. I don't want to spoil anything, but there are things that happen in here, things that have happened in King of Black that affect the trajectory of how T'Challa and Shuri and the forces of Wakanda have to battle. And it's so good. The tension is so palpable. The pacing in here, Jeffrey Thorne, I'm like, oh, cool. He should be writing everything forever now because I loved this book. His tone, his characterization, the way he handles everything is so spot on. You get an artist of Herman Peralta's status who just gets so detailed, but so textured and layered. Jesus Arbertov just proving one of the best in the game with the coloring, everything about this. Look, it is Wakanda facing off against pretty much impossible odds. Can they win? Will they win? You have to read the book. And I say, you have to read this book. It's fantastic. Yeah, totally agree. I thought it was a great week for those fresh voices that are coming in and just laying down the law. 
My pick this week that I'm covering is Taskmaster number three. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Alessandro VT, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. I'll start by saying that the Mighty Marvel bullpen bulletins are back, and we have them on Marvel.com. They'll be appearing back in the books very soon. And I was tasked with helping out interview Jed McKay for the first return. It's going to be a fun interview kind of series where you get to know the work that some great creators are doing, as well as maybe a little bit about them personally. You can go read the Jed one on Marvel.com right now. Um, Taskmaster is a character that I think people are still at a big scale getting to know. I think we've seen mostly Taskmaster, I think, showing up for an arc or two, an issue or two, as an antagonist to a bigger character. But to put Taskmaster at front and center really gives the writer the opportunity, in my opinion, to kind of shape uh, a lot of this character's voice. And I think it's one of those great Marvel Comics things of how malleable these characters can be. Uh, And I love Jed's interpretation of who this character is. Uh, In this issue, we see Taskmaster face off with the White Fox, which is something I love. There is just so much energy to this character. And I think excitement around this character and, and a lot of characters in this corner of the universe that I think are just so great. There is an excellent little fight sequence in here that I think takes the kind of classic Shang-Chi or Iron Fist type fight sequence and turns it on its head in a just delightful way. It's so much fun. That was one of the funniest bits of this week. Yeah. Like, because we have a lot of comics and this has been going on for a while now where a lot of our martial artists have great names for their moves for their like kicks mm-hmm. and punches and and taskmaster knows these moves so well because he has his photographic memory but he doesn't know what they're called and it just mwah, chef's kiss so great <laughs> yeah it's so awesome and 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 look overall getting to know this character not just by the voice in his head or the way that he talks to other characters but in the choices he makes and there is one or two very specific choices that this character makes in this issue in particular that i found fascinating that i think really are hilarious but also give a lot of intrigue to getting to know who this is a, a huge compliment that i can give is that it feels like a jed mckay book because that's a very specific thing to me and it's something i really love my second pick of the week goes to Wolverine Black, White, and Blood number three. The conceit of Wolverine Black, White, and Blood is that the stories are told in black and white with the only color used is red and is often used for blood, but is not always used for blood in here. But it's a Wolverine story, so there's going to be a lot of blood. That's That's just a given. There are three stories in here. I will leave the story that most affected me for last. I will say that there's a a wonderful story by Donnie Cates and Chris Bashalo. It's Wolverine teaming up with Cosmic Ghost Rider in a really fun way, facing off against Juggernaut. It's a lot of fun. Then we get a story by, again, your boy, Jed McKay. He teams up with Jesus Saiz, who, man, I've never seen Jesus do black and white work. Jesus is the whole artist on any of his projects. He does penciling, inking, coloring, painting, like everything is his art. So to see that distilled in a way where it's just the black, white, the shades of gray, and then the red, I wasn't prepared for it. It's so good. It's Wolverine on Mars facing off against terrorists, essentially. I will leave it at that. And it's it's rad. It's a really awesome story. Also, it's gory as all get out. There's a part where Wolverine's face is punched off. So if you are... <laughs> I mean, look, you're reading a book called Black, White, and Blood, and it's Wolverine. 
you should know what you're getting in for, but just just warning y'all out there. But I really wanted to talk to everybody about the story that leads off the issue, which is called 32 Warriors and a Broken Heart. It is by writer John Ridley and artist Jorge Fornes. John Ridley, if you don't know, is this you know award-winning writer. He's written 12 Years a Slave. He's Academy Award winner for that. He created the TV show American Crime. He's got a ton of novels. He's done a, a million things. And so it's that interesting thing where he knows how to tell a story, but he's also a Marvel fan and loves the Marvel characters. So that's a wonderful combination coming in here. And his first Marvel work, it's like Shaquille O'Neal dunking on a basketball, uh, (laughs) like dunking on the hoop and just pulling it down, glass shattering everywhere. And it's just the best. It is pretty much all told from Wolverine's captions and the art. And it's the story of family, forgiveness, sadness, betrayal, battles, warriors. I just, God, I I don't want to give anything away. It's Wolverine in Japan, and it is as perfect a comic book story as I could have imagined. And Jorge Fornes has been a wonderful artist, but this is like, you should just show this to people and be like, give him all the money and make him do all the comic books. This is worth every penny. And then you get two more incredible stories with it. Wow. Uh, All right. That's what we have for our picks this week. Uh, Now jumping into our pulleys. We're starting off with Amazing Spider-Man number 59. This is the second issue in a new arc called Negative Space. And as you can guess, that centers largely around Martin Lee, a.k.a. Mr. Negative. There's a great scene in here with Normie Osborne that I uh, really enjoyed. That's a character I really enjoy. I think back to our conversation with David Gelb that we had uh, recently where we talked about an issue of Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man that largely revolved around the character that I think gave additional history and context for this character for me uh, that I really enjoyed. And reading this issue with that fresh in mind made me enjoy it even more. Uh, There's a lot more to come in the world of Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah. What a week in which we have great comics where I don't pick a book by Kieran Gillen and yeah. Asad Rabik as yeah. one of my picks. I Wow. Because uh, Eternals number two is out this week and it is phenomenal. It is so good and so gorgeous and brutal and wonderful and weird. And look, if you're at all excited about the Eternals, you got to be reading this book. It also has uh, a wonderful fight scene between Icarus and Thanos that just tears the house down. Uh, but I'm going to give my pulley to this one. Pulleys are our weekly awards we give to many books. Uh, I'm going to give a pulley to this book for Sea Monster of the Week. That is sad, man. He can draw some cool stuff. Next up, we are moving over to Krakoa for Excalibur number 18. Hey, folks, I hope you voted in the old X-Men vote. It was a huge week for Marvel's Mighty Mutants and something that ended up being like a national conversation. It was nationally trending on Twitter, hashtag X-Men vote, and more details on that as we move closer to the Hellfire Gala coming up later this year. But in the realm of Excalibur, I just want to drown in these character relationships. I just want to exist within this team dynamic, within this book dynamic, because there's so much to dive into here. What might get my pulley for this issue, though, is uh, kind of, um, 
I don't know how to say it without spoiling it, but it has to do with where we've been with the X-Men since the Dawn of X and seeing threads that were there at the start of Dawn of X and then now moving through to Ten of Swords and now into Reign of X, seeing different threads that continue to come back and forth and continue to be discussed is really, really fun and really fascinating. It's such a rich and rewarding experience reading these uh, books. So whatever that is, that's my pulley for this book. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it's time to get into our King and Black tie-ins for this week. We've got a number of them. Of course, we've already talked about King and Black, Black Panther, number one, but we've also got Daredevil, number 27. This is uh, big time as Daredevils get involved with Null and with all the Michigas going around there. And it's awesome. I, I'm trying to figure out how to word this pulley because the Daredevils really do something that is very Daredevil-ish, both in the traditional <laughs> Daredevil sense and in the, the comic book Daredevil sense. And it's two of them. We've got two Daredevils running around. The pulley goes to both of them for doing something incredibly dumb and incredibly dangerous and maybe pulling it off. You'll have to read it to find out. Our next King in Black book comes in the form of Fantastic Four number 29. I think this issue is kind of the perfect encapsulation of a Fantastic Four story. We start out on Yancey Street. We start out at the street level. We start out in the personal dynamics of these characters and then we rock it off into the stratosphere and into all the King of Black action. And it takes a turn that I really didn't see coming. It's just a delight to dive back into Fantastic Four. I think Dan Slott has been so busy doing so much stuff, whether that's Empire, which was obviously incredible, so many other things. But now getting back into the groove of Fantastic Four, it is just really, really fun. And I think King of Black is kind of the perfect event tie-in for them for so many different reasons. But uh, seeing the turns that this one took, uh, the left field switches was really, really interesting. Yeah. All right. We've got one more King of Black tie-in this week. It is King of Black Thunderbolts number two. This one comes from two of our favorites, Matthew Rosenberg and Juan Ferreira. It just is funny and pithy and fast-paced. It's violent and exploding things, bodies, creatures. Uh, I will give my pulley to this one for having the most unexpected fetch quest of the week. <laughs> when you find out what the Thunderbolts are going after, I was aghast, I will say. It was just like, <laughs> Matthew, how I have to text him and be like, did you do this? Or was it, what, what's wrong with you? I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Now we are moving over to Morbius with Morbius Bond of Blood. Number one, this is a one-shot issue. And look, right off the bat, page number one, I'm diving in. It's Tom Riley on art. And that's my pulley right there. Immediately, I'm such a huge fan of Tom Riley's work. I love his silhouettes. I love the way that his characters act. I love the throwback vibe of a lot of his work. It's really, really awesome. The direction that this goes in is, I think it's simultaneously a really fresh Michael Morbius story. Uh, he heads off to Ravencroft, which is super exciting. But it's also, I think, I think it captures a certain classic quality of the character that I think is so essential to have a good command of. As Ralph Macchio is the writer on this, there are few people who have a greater and longer standing understanding of a character like this. So it was a really, really interesting one to jump into. 
Yeah. Our next book is Power Pack number three, and that does tie into our reading club and our guest this week because we have colorist Rochelle Rosenberg joining us. She will be talking about Power Pack. We'll be talking about uh, artist Nico Leone a lot in here. Book is so great. Nico's sense of fashion for the Power Pack kids is wonderful. But I will give my pulley for this book to disappointment of the week to Mr. Captain Aether. There's a you know been reveals over the the storyline, and I was like, man, I kind of wish this character was a real good guy. He's kind of so like granola hippie about superheroing. <laughs> I would like that. I want more stories about that guy. But it's wonderful. It's funny. It's jam-packed as any book written by Ryan North is, and it's wonderful. Plus, bonus Taskmaster in this issue. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Sword number three. Al Ewing gets my pulley every week, basically every issue he writes. He definitely holds the record for being the person that I grab whoever I'm talking to, whether they're a comic book reader or not, and say, hey, 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 read these five pages. And that's something that happens on a very regular basis when I'm reading an L book. And Sword somehow exceeds expectations. There's a sequence right at the start, which is one of my favorite moments in any single book this week. We are traveling with Eden Fessy across everything. Uh, it is so, <laughs> so gorgeously rendered. There is an incredible art team on this book uh, with a bunch of great artists, and it's just beautiful. This is another one of those that I think has incredible text pages and prose pages throughout. Some of my favorite stuff in this issue, which like I said, is gorgeous and is telling such a huge, well-told story, is just me reading Tom Muller-designed text pages. And it's one of those things that I feel like you can tell Al Ewing is so excited to get involved with that he is just chomping at the bit every single issue of Sword. It just feels so jam-packed and it's so, so well-composed at the same time. I feel like he's ready to tell a story for 100 issues here. That's how big it is and that's how good it is. Hell yeah. Man, what they do to explain Manifold, aka Eden Fessy in this issue and like elevated a character I loved you know, in Black Panther and Avenger stuff and then like I was like, oh, I want a Manifold movie. I want Manifold right? uh, lunchbox. I want Manifold should be everything. It's like, crazy. Man, so good. Again, yeah. another book that could have been a pick. Speaking oh, of totally. books that could have been picks, Star Wars Darth Vader number 10. Holy moly. Tucker, I'm sure this one, you were just like losing it. Because this is this to me was like just primo, amazing Star Wars. It's it's the weird Star Wars that I love. It's got a giant monster. It's got Darth Vader fighting, you know, his mind and, and just nasty stuff. And it is one of the most beautiful Star Wars books I've ever seen. Like art-wise, Raphael Ayanko and Niraj Manan are doing incredible work. It's so detailed and strange and like the textures of it all. It's awesome. Darth Vader, he's lost bits and pieces of his body and he's made them from junk and little droids and stuff. And he's basically pushed himself past every possible barrier to march on and figure out what the hell is going on with the Emperor and what the Emperor wants from him. My pulley goes to this having the last page of the week. It's not a cliffhanger Mm. so much, but it's a last page that makes you go, oh boy. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy, what is the how you open the next issue and top that sense of scale of that last page? I don't know, but they're gonna do it. 
Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. It's so, so good. Really great week. And we're wrapping it up with another great issue. This is X-Force number 17. And this issue pretty much entirely centers around Kid Omega. This could be a Kid Omega book. This could be a Kid Omega titled series. Uh, But just knowing that this is part of the larger, incredible tapestry that Benjamin Percy has been writing with this series is just an amazing experience. We also get a great sequence for maybe get some some of my pulleys for costumes of the week where Kid Omega is trying to find some new digs. And uh, it's really, really funny and great. Uh, And a great reminder of two of the most badass storytellers that we have right now, Ben Percy and Josh Kassara, also doing like some of the funniest stuff of the week. So much fun. It's a book that does everything. It's a book I will scream about every single chance I get. So, so great. I like that you call it the funniest book, which is very funny, but the first three pages are a montage of ways Quentin has been <laughs> murdered, and it is yeah. so horrific. And Josh, who I know is listening, he draws, so, and I know part of it's Benjamin, the two of them, they're twisted. They're twisted yeah. folks. I just, yeah, that's, sure. there's no other way about it. They're just messed up. <laughs> Good Lord. Good Lord. We just, wow. What a week. What a phenomenal, phenomenal week. Seriously. All right, those are our pulleys this week. So much excellent stuff. Now moving over to print collections. We have a bunch on offer, some Daredevil, some Wolverine. If you are interested or curious about Michael Morbius, the living vampire, please check out Morbius Epic Collection, the living vampire. That's some good stuff. I'll also never pass up an opportunity to shout out Captain America by Ta-Nehisi Coates. We have volume four available this week. That's called All Die Young. Yes. Over on Marvel Unlimited, a bunch of great ones in here. We've got U.S. Agent number one. So if you enjoyed our chat with Christopher Priest, you can see what he's been working on lately. Uh, We've got Web of Venom Empire's End, which is a kind of a crucial tie-in to King and Black. And then one that really ties into one of our picks this week, Wolverine Black, White, and Blood number one. It's just phenomenal. Really, really good. Great comics. It's a good time to be a reader, and it's a good time to be a listener because we have a great interview coming up for you right now with Rochelle Rosenberg, who is a colorist on a number of books, including what we talked about earlier, Power Pack. Uh, She has a great choice for us to talk about, which is also a Power Pack story. So let's get into that right now. All right, Tucker, I am very excited because our guest this week is Rochelle Rosenberg, colorist supreme for Marvel Comics. Rochelle, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Very exciting. One of our producers, MR, they had come up with this great idea of talking to some of our creators and folks making comics to talk about great comics for kids, which I love because I'm, you know, relatively new parent and we're bringing you onto the show and you've got like kind of double duty with it because you are working on some power pack stuff, but you also brought us some power pack stuff to talk about. Yeah. The power pack day one on Marvel Unlimited is honestly, as talking about kids, a great starter comic for them. I personally love it because of the art, but the story is also great. And it's a great, like for my daughter who is seven, she loves unicorns and ponies. And the story is about how the power pack got their powers. And they actually got their powers from a horse. 
or an alien horse, which is really cool and really gets my daughter excited about reading that story and how they got their powers. I loved this because I haven't read it since it came out in uh, 2008. Real quick, I'll give the credits for the series. It is written by Fred Van Lenti, art by Guruhiru, and letters by Dave Sharp. Uh, I want to point out also that one of the editors on the book uh, is former Marvel Comics editor Nate Crosby. And I point him out in particular because he worked really hard around this time period when I first started at Marvel. He was doing a lot of work to get some really great comics for kids made. And, you know, this Power Pack series is one of them. He did stuff with Chris Eliopoulos and, um, you know, a lot of Franklin Richards stuff. Just a lot of really good, smart comics for kids that don't talk down to kids. That's something you, you know, you just want to give to a kid. Just exactly like you were saying, Rochelle. It's just like something you know is going to, like, click with someone younger. Yes. Yeah. And that's what I feel like it definitely, like, for my daughter... There are kid superheroes that she can relate to. And as she gets older, she'll want to read more of those older superhero type of books. Uh, I mean, honest, I signed my first Marvel contract when I was pregnant with her. So she was born into this whole, like, we live and breathe Marvel. (laughs) Uh, But I'm always looking for... You know, because my daughter is seven and she's learning how to read right now. So this helps open the door to not just comics in general, but reading, which is really great for kids. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Let's backtrack a little bit because you you talked about signing your first contract with Marvel while you were pregnant. Um, Tell us a little bit about what you do for Marvel and really what the job of a colorist entails. Okay, so I color comic books for Marvel. Basically, I'll get inks or pencils from an editor and I'll send it off to my flatters who will take those pages and fill in the shapes with color. And then from there, I render out the pages based on the story, the script, any uh, notes that the editorial team has and... Yeah, that's kind of what I do. And I I love it. Like, it's honestly, I mean, I have a degree in illustration. So I was trained as an artist, but the coloring aspect is absolutely my favorite part of the job. I'm curious, do you have a favorite character that you like to color? I feel like each character presents in their kind of classic form, maybe presents their own challenges and, and opportunities. But is there a character or a team or a book or something like that that comes to mind when I say your favorite to color? I love coloring X-Men. And I think part of that is when I first started working for Marvel, I did a lot of work for the X-Office. And so I think it it's almost nostalgic at this point to work on X-Books for me because, I mean, now I've worked for Marvel for over 10 years. And so I've worked on Spider-Man, Iron Man, Avengers, X-Men, you know, the full array of characters. But for me, I think the X-Men are some of my favorite to color. I usually, when I get asked that question, like Phoenix is one of my favorites to color because I love to render flames. It's just one of those things I can get lost in. And that's one of For me, the perks of being an artist is, you know, when you get lost in something that you're doing, it just brings so much joy. One of our listeners, uh, Karis Pollard, she's she's a 
big comic book fan, but I've noticed in following her on Twitter over the last couple of years, she started to explore into coloring. It's sort of a two-part question in my head. One, what was it for you? We talked a little bit about your background, but what was it for you that got you from the illustration side to starting to color comics? And, you know, like, do you remember what got you right into it and how you got into Marvel? And then the other side of it is, do you have any advice for someone like Karis or anybody else out there who is, um, you know, wanting to dabble into coloring comics and not step on your toes, <laughs> not get, not encroach yeah. into your livelihood? Oh, no, yeah. I'm Okay, so let me answer the first part. So I have a degree in illustration. I was actually going for more like doing advertising illustration, possibly some children's books. But I mean, I started out as an artist and a oil painter was my medium of choice at the time. I was living in California, very expensive, decided to drop everything, move across country and start my art career because I couldn't do it in California with how expensive everything is. But moving out here to Wisconsin, I attended some drink and draws and met a whole bunch of people that worked in comics. Like this drink and draw had only comic book people currently working in comics. So one of them was uh, Greg Titus, who at that time this was like 2008, was working for Marvel. And he was actually doing a pop gun uh, story for Image. And he needed a colorist. And I was like, coloring? So back a little up before this, before I started doing the drink and draw, when I moved to Wisconsin, I had two young kids and as an oil painter, I didn't really want to paint in my little apartment around my boys. So I was like, I'm gonna teach myself how to, to draw and paint on Photoshop. And then I won't have to use all the, the fumes and all the toxic stuff. Coloring my own drawings in Photoshop was my favorite thing. Like, I'm like, did somebody give me artwork and let me color, <laughs> color them in Photoshop? And so when I went to this drink and draw, I got offered like, hey, you want to color these pages for like portfolio work, essentially. And I was like, that would be great because I'm looking for work. And I was looking to get into comics and I knew that there was a penciler, an inker, a colorist and a letterer. And I was like, my job is going to be coloring. <laughs> so I colored this short story. I also started getting like contacting just any artist that I thought had like amazing art skills and asking for line art because I knew I needed things to practice coloring and I needed to build this, you know, coloring portfolio. But doing that little short story for the Pop Gun anthology is kind of what opened the door for me in comics. I started getting, you know, work from Image and boom. And eventually, like, I think I harassed enough editors at Marvel to do a couple of little stories. But that's kind of how I got my start into comics and my start with Marvel. And I would say, you know, for anyone who wants to get into comics or coloring in particular, just keep practicing. Like, this is something I talk about in all my panels. Anytime anyone asks for advice, First of all, you just can't give up and you got to keep practicing. And 
And even for me, that still rings true. Like I still, even though like I'm in my dream job, I still feel like I still have to practice because there are so many great color artists out there and there's always ways to improve and you can never stop improving. You all, you can't ever be like, oh, I'm great and this is how it's going to be because someone is going to come up and pass you and take all your work. <laughs> um, but I love helping up and coming color artists. So, you know, I have a whole set of like brushes I give to people that, you know, send me an email because this industry, it's, it's not that it's hard to break into, but there's not a lot of help out there for coloring comic books. Like there are no classes really on like, how do you color a comic book? You know, when I went to college, it was like, here's a comics book class, but it mostly talks about like, you know, laying out the scene and drawing the stuff. You know, there's not a lot for coloring. And so I remember when I first got into this industry, I was like just desperate for anyone that would teach me anything about coloring. So I'm always trying to like, help other people because everyone has their own journey and everyone has like no not two color artists are the same we're all different we all have something different to share and I feel like we can actually all learn something from each other one of my favorite things is talking to someone who is a total expert in a field that I know next to nothing about and look I read every single Marvel comic every week and there are colors and pages that make my spine tingle. I love it. But I couldn't tell you the first thing about how it works, how it's done, any of that. So I love hearing your perspective on these things. Like with your aesthetes perspective, with your expertise, who are some of the colorists out there working today at the House of Ideas that you really like, who you think are doing something different or interesting or unique? Um, do any names come to mind when I mention that? Jesus Abratov. Is... I was just going to say Jesus because we read a book for, for the the week that we're recording. He did some coloring over R.B. Silva for a Fantastic Four issue. And I was just like. I wonder if it's the same issue I'm thinking of because I be. saw some pages. So, okay. He's also a really great friend too, but he's also one of those colorists that just keeps finding new things to like just wow you. And I, yeah, I saw some fantastic four pages he did. They were sent to me for reference for some, I think I want to say a cover or something. And I was like, holy crap, these are amazing. Like it was so, it was just so perfect. Like for the art, I was completely blown away because it, it didn't even look like something I would have thought him to do. And so when I found out he did it, I was just like, wow, like way, like way to step up your game. <laughs> but I love that stuff. Um, just like amazing stuff is happening out there. Honestly, like not just colors, but like there's a bunch of artists doing stuff with, uh, I believe it's called ZBrush which is like a sculpture rendering program. And I'm I'm like blown away at some of the stuff that they're doing. Like, I'm like, I'm gonna have to get that program just to like play with it. Uh, 
but there's just so much great digital art coming out. It's just mind, it's honestly just mind blowing, mind blowing. Uh, we have our producers, Jorge and MR, they're messaging their questions as we go. And Rochelle, I gotta be honest, I've never seen them so invested in one of our interviews. They are peppering us with their questions. I love it. I'll take them all day long. There are some really good questions. Jorge asked an interesting one that I don't relate to you. He mentioned that uh, sometimes, you know, like, you know, a writer will have their notes app on their phone and like wake up in the middle of the night, have an idea, write it down, go back to sleep or off on a, a walk, have an idea, jot something down. Do you do something, do you similar things with like taking pictures of something you see, a painting, references, things like that? Is that something that, that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I take lots of pictures. <laughs> My phone is like probably like 50,000 photos uh, because art is definitely one of those things that it's observation of the world around us. And there is always so much beauty to be seen and captured. I also, I use lots of photo reference for inspiration for palettes. And then obviously like going to like art shows or like galleries. I just actually went to a couple this weekend and it's just, especially for me who's all digital, it's really inspiring to see those traditional mediums used with such vibrant colors that you don't always get to see put into print because you definitely have some change from, you know, what I see on the computer to what actually gets printed out. So it's definitely very refreshing to look at traditional media and look at photos. So yeah, whenever I see things that inspire me or I'm like, oh, hey, that would actually that would be a good color palette to use for this. I will definitely save that and have like a folder of like, these are all like references I want to use for, you know, this series. Um, all right. I, I want to talk a little bit about Power Pack Day One. You, you talked a little bit about how this connects to me when I hear you talk about it with your daughter. It's like a, a very emotional, there's something really cool and, and wonderful there. But on top of that, this is such a Great, fun book, just an incredible creative team. Guruhiru, uh, for any of our listeners who don't know, these two amazing Japanese artists who just crush it. They've been crushing it at Marvel for over a decade now. When you brought this one, this made me think of my other favorite Power Pack series of around the same time that they drew, which is called Thor and the Warriors 4, which is really wonderful. It's a whole lot of fun. They actually get to draw like Odin and Beta Ray Bill and Thor as little baby versions, which you should show that oh. one to your daughter. She will okay. <laughs> little Beta Ray Bill drawn by Gudahiru as like this tiny little baby is like emblazoned in my mind as, as something so wonderful and so fun. So anytime I get to read, you know, comics that they draw and, and in this case, you know, color and everything, it's just a treat. Yeah, absolutely. They are able to create these worlds within the comic. It's like you're in that scene and their rendering and their lighting, it just, it works and flows so well. Um, it's not only the Power Pack uh, day one, it's not only a joy to read, it's just such a joy to like 
scroll through all of the the panels. It's like a couple of technical things keep coming to mind for me. I mean, one of them is just a straight up and down question. Like, I, I suppose it can vary book by book, but just for, for listeners and for some context, how long might it take you to do a single page or a 20 page issue? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Do I give you like editor flashbacks? Like, <laughs> we get these pages. <laughs> you don't have to answer that if you don't want to, Rochelle. I'm gonna I'm gonna answer in a roundabout way because it does vary on the book and on the artist. For example, uh, Todd Nock, he enjoys drawing all kinds of things in the background. <laughs> and all of those things take long times to render out sometimes. So a page for me will take between like one, two hours, sometimes more, depending on like what that page is. If it's a, I mean, if it's a splash, sometimes those take a lot less. It just really depends on how much is going on in that page as a general rule like you know a book does not take me longer than a week to do uh when I first got actually hired by Marvel that was one of the first questions I got asked by the talent manager (laughs) he was like how quickly can you do a book and I was like I can do it in three days (laughs) and then I was like well, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I I knew that there was a book coming with this question. And so I was like, okay, this is it. This is my chance to impress them (laughs) by how great I can color and how fast I can color. (laughs) You did it. Way to go. Well, so this this leads me to my, my next question, which is something that I think about often, something that we talk about on the show all the time is like the acting that you see on a given page, in a dramatic moment, in a fun moment, something like Power Pack, where there's so much joy on these pages. Is that something that takes a little bit extra time to do on your end of things of like, okay, I really got to nail the subtleties of this moment, whether it's, you know, it's a dramatic moment cast in shadow and you got to get that just right. Or it's a page that we see sometimes can be some of my favorite things or just two characters sitting across a table talking and getting that right. Can you talk about what that process is like? Um, Yeah, so that's a really great point. So yes, a page can take like one or two hours, let's say, but setting up a scene, whether it's two characters having coffee together or the power pack fighting off one of their arch enemies, every scene takes time to lay out because you have to think about like, I have to establish the lighting for this entire scene. And sometimes, you know, depending on deadlines and schedules, the art will come in not uh, sequential. So say a scene is pages one through five, sometimes I'll get pages one, three, seven, 12, 18. And then those are the pages I have to work on, which can definitely make things more difficult for me as a colorist because say one scene is on pages one through five and I only have two of those pages. Sometimes on those pages, I'm not getting a whole sense of that scene. And it's hard for me to 
sometimes even just established lighting because it's like if they're in a room and let's say there's a light somewhere, but I don't see it on those pages and then page four comes in and then there's this big old window <laughs> or, you know, light bulb. And then I'm like, oh, shoot, I have to redo these pages because there's a whole lighting source coming in over here that I no way of knowing that it was there until this other page came in. So there is a whole lot of thought that goes into pages before a colorist even starts to color because yeah we have to figure out like what what kind of mood are we trying to set here what is the does the script call for you know any you know sometimes the script will say this is going to take place at night or this is going to take place in the morning and so we got to take those things into consideration but then also like okay if this is at night is there a light source you know what's actually happening so there's lots of staging that we have to plan out before we can actually start to render those pages. And that is, for me, that's a very mental part. Like I can't have like podcasts or TV playing in the background. I have to be able to like focus and like look at the script, look at any reference and like basically I call it like laying, I lay my pages out and I like to do it hopefully with the entire scene, but obviously sometimes it doesn't happen. And with deadlines, sometimes I don't have a choice but to work through the pages I have so that I can still meet my deadline, even as pages, you know, are coming in. So it's definitely probably the most time-consuming part of my job. And I actually don't even count that into the one to two hours of coloring a page because that's a whole nother... That's a whole other aspect. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Todd Nock earlier, and I was thinking about, you know, some of the, like, super detailed artists you've worked with, uh, Javier Garon or, like, uh, Nick Bradshaw or David Marquez, like, oh. you know, <laughs> folks who are just like, all right, I'm going to get real granular at, like, some of these details. And then I, I'm looking at Power Pack Day One, and Gurihiru, in my, in my mind, if I'm not looking at one of their pages, I think it's this, like, really – Simple, clean lines, wonderfully uh, crafted, but it's, you know, it's it's not like super detailed. But then when you look at their pages, they are so incredibly detailed in every panel. The like they're rendering bed sheets and like <laughs> star fields and all this stuff. And I'm like, but they just did this to themselves, though. They like <laughs> they're this is all on them. You're right. Like, I feel like their stuff. even though it's simple, it is detailed. And they just have a way of rendering things that makes it, it's just so easy to look at and to like go through and be like, oh, like like their whole, uh, at the beginning, I believe it's in the issue one, the whole neighborhood scene with the grass and like, I remember, like Alex picks up one of his dad's inventions and he falls or something. But then like the whole background are all these houses. And even though they're like, they're lightly subdued in the background, there's still so much detail on them. Um, Nothing like Nick Bradshaw though. I mean, I'm glad you brought him (laughs) up because he's, yeah, he's probably the craziest of artists that I've had to color. Yeah, I mean, you know, he comes from like, like Art Adams school of like, oh, I have room on this page. I'm going to put something in there, right? Oh, I have, there's a, an empty space in this panel. It better get filled up. 
Exactly. Like, why? <laughs> he's good stuff, though. I mean, he's, he's great stuff. Yeah. Um, did you look at this Power Pack series or any other Power Pack series as you were, you know, starting to get ready for um, the current Power Pack book? Um, I did at first, and then Nico definitely had thoughts. And so when I saw he did, um, he kind of redid the the character design of like, because you'll notice like Julie and Katie hair colors are, they're actually switched. Hmm. Um, and so I started to, and then I was like, oh, nope, he's got his own vision that I need to follow here. And so one of the things I did look at, though, was uh, the Spider-Man Miles Morales movie. Into the Spider-Verse? Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Yes. For palette reference. Because he wanted it very, like, playful and light and... I love the effects they used in that movie, the the halftones, the halftone colors over like pure rendering, I thought was really cool. So I applied some of those to the, the new Power Pack series. And, you know, with even with their lighting, they, or any glows, they had, it wasn't just a glow, it was like a texture element almost. And so I use bits and pieces of that into this series. But other than that, like, yeah, I didn't use a whole lot of uh, reference from the old series only because, yeah, Nico definitely had a vision and I really wanted to stay with his vision because I could tell him and Ryan definitely were like, this is the direction we're going to take it. And I didn't really want to bring in a whole lot of like, they wanted to make it like, a, it's like a new thing. That's such a, uh, an interesting thing going on there, just the, the dynamics of any given creative team. And I'm sure it's something you could write a book about. Um, uh, just <laughs> yeah. like the how, you know, how those dynamics evolve, how it starts out. It can just be a random selection of, of some great artists and great writers and whoever it might be. And at times, you know, a creative team, if, if, if everybody's lucky, can, can be working together for years. And it's something – Yes. I think about so often because you hear stories of like a writer and artist duo who worked together for 30, 40, 50 issues and like hung out once maybe and like mainly emailed. Uh, and you would just guess they have such a symbiotic, like close relationship. And it's like, no, you know, they're just great communicators and they're great at their jobs. And this is how it ends up being. I, I love thinking about that one for the current power pack run because I'm such a fan of Nicoleon. I'm such such a mega fan of Ryan North. Um, and I really just think this is like a dream team for, uh, especially for a book like this. Can you talk about what that, what those relationships are like, whether that's on past books that you've worked on, things that, that were special to you in the past or uh, what this current Power Pack run is like and, and working with the, the crew there? Yeah, so I, I could be wrong. I don't think I've worked with Ryan before. Um, but Nico and I worked on a Spider-Verse book and it was a 30 page issue, but we really clicked while working on it. And Nico is definitely like, there are some artists that you work with that, you know, the, 
usually you don't hear from them until the end of the book when you're sending pages in. But then there are some artists that are very, they want to be very involved in the coloring process. Um, and they want to talk ideas out or, you know, let them know your thoughts, which I think is great because a lot of times you're coloring a page and you're like, I'm not quite sure what's going on here because it's different than what the script says. Um, and it's sometimes good to have that, at least that relationship with the artists where you can at least email and be like, Hey, did you have thoughts about this or any guidance that you have? Or do you just want me to like go and like do my thing? And there are a lot of artists that are just like, just go do your thing. You know, I trust you, which is great. But um, I really enjoy the the teamwork aspect of coloring comics because I feel like it is definitely a team sport. Um, and so Nico and I definitely have that relationship. I mean, he will send me these huge emails with, uh, you know, thoughts. And, and it's with Nico, it was mostly like visual ideas. He never ever was like specifically like, I want this to be this or this to be that. It was just like his color, you know, envisionment as he was drawing it. Like these are the things that he envisioned and he was able to relay those to me. And then I was able to pull reference that I think I would need that would work. Um, and then a lot of times like I will like do a few pages and then send them back and be like, am I on the right track? Like, is this, you know, the right direction I'm going into? Like, just to make sure, because you don't want to go through a whole book and then the artist be like, well, that was not what I was thinking. <laughs> but thanks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but um, because I had worked with Nico before, he really loved what I did with the Spider-Verse book, and I used a lot of the same techniques that I used for that in the new power pack, and then just added extra, the extra elements that he was inspired by. Yeah. Uh, the book was Spider-Woman Omega uh, from yes. 2016. Um, I'm looking at the cover here by Yasmin Putri. Uh, beautiful stuff. Um yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I want to wind down here because, um, you know, we've taken so much of your time. You've got uh, uh, so many pages to color, uh, I'm sure. You've got to get uh, 40 done today uh, because uh, someone's going to be hounding you. But um, the uh, we want to make sure that everybody know that Power Pack number three is available February 10th. Uh, so definitely check that out. And then there's two last things I want to think about is um, one – uh, how's your daughter feel knowing that, you know, she loves this power pack day one story, but now you're actually doing power pack comics. That's got to make her real happy. I'm sure. I mean, she loves that. I get to color anything I think, cause she <laughs> loves to color, you know? And then she's always asking like, Oh, can you print that page? Like she'll see something I'm working on be like, Oh, can you print that? So I can color it. Aww. So Yeah. And of course, like with the power pack, with the rainbows, and like I said, like it's a very fun colored book. Of course, she's gonna love it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then finally, I, I didn't have any other point to to bring it in, but I remember we were at 
I think it was Luminality's like a couple years ago in Chicago for a C2E2. And did I, am I misremembering that you had just gotten like a yellow belt in, in oh. something? <laughs> Where are you at in your, your martial arts training? I am a black belt. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yes. Yes. Black belt and uh, a bit of a bodybuilder. So everybody watch out. If you're going to be a colorist, you got to be a very skilled martial artist. You got to be swole. You got to be as, try as hard as you can. You got to be nearly as good as Rochelle. You ain't going to do it, y'all. Oh, thanks. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Rochelle, thank you so much for being on the show. You rock. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was lots of fun. Yeah. Power pack. Big thanks again to Rochelle. I love getting a colorist's perspective on these things. It is so interesting uh, from Rochelle's angle, not just as an artist, but as someone who is in a very fascinating part of the creative process in terms of comics at large and something that we don't get to uh, hear about very often, but it is something that is so, so worthy of conversation and so worthy of scrutiny. And it's really, really interesting. And of course, Rochelle delivering it all is the best. Yeah. Uh, I do want to shout out one of our listeners, Balala Lion, who tweeted to me and Nick Lowe. They said that I would enjoyed listening to this week's pull list. One of my favorite times of the week is reading issues with my daughter. She is loving Power Pack. I read the male and she with a female and monsters. I think this issue advanced her vocabulary by five years. And then he posts some pictures from the recent Power Pack series, the current one that we were talking about earlier. Thank you for that. I love that. These episodes are connecting with a lot of our listeners in different ways. So that is freaking awesome. Another really great tweet that uh, Ryan, you and I received is from Greg Pask, who said, loved the best comics for kids episode of Marvel's Pull List by uh, H&M Tucker Marcus, especially as we're getting into Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur right now. That's Greg reading with his family. And Greg continues, left off my fam's favorite series, Power Pack from 2005, art by Gudahiru pops off the page and team-ups are fantastic. I totally agree. It really brings me a lot of joy hearing those stories of parents reading to their kids. It is so much fun. And so thanks again, Greg, for reaching out. Of course, you can always uh, email us at pulllist at marvel.com with any of uh, your notes. You want to send us an email that we can read on the show. Make sure you mark it okay to read. You can also try with Twitter. I try to check hashtag Marvel's pull list, but that's a lot of letters for a hashtag. Um, <laughs> I check pull list as well, but there's a bunch of other people who use that. So you can always tag me in it at Agent M or tag at Tucker Marcus, and we'll uh, we'll try to remember to read them on the show. That about wraps it up for us this week. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Pinagos, Tucker Marcus, Jorge Estrada, with help from Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio, and Brad Barton is Marvel's Pull List audio development manager. And contrary to popular belief, he is not an Omega mutant. He has no powers. He's just... Man. He's just a man. A great man. I'm Ryan. I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs> <laughs>